Lots of reasons to give thanks. Amen? God is good. One of the things that I'm thankful for, I hope that you're thankful too, this book of Acts has been a blessing to me as I've studied and preached through it this year. Uh, It's hard to believe that we're almost done with this book. We are in chapter 25 and 26 today. Uh, That means we just have two chapters left after today. Uh, Last week, you may remember, we left off where Felix was leaving Paul in prison. This had nothing to do with justice. Uh, Remember, Paul was innocent. He had done nothing wrong, and yet he has now been in prison for two years. The decision to leave him there is nothing more than Felix wanting to gain the favor of the Jewish people. Plus, the scripture is very clear that several times over this span, he has invited Paul to come and speak to him with the hope that Paul would offer money to him so that he could be bribed, so that Felix could be bribed to let Paul out of jail. Paul was unwilling to do that. I am just so thankful that today we do not have such crooked politicians as Felix. (laughs) Oh boy. Could I encourage you to vote this Tuesday? Make sure that you do that. It is our very special right and freedom to cast our ballot and that freedom has not been given to us freely. Amen? Uh, So many have given their life's blood Uh, that we could have this kind of freedom. So let me, on this Sunday prior to Election Day, encourage you to get out and vote. We cannot tell you who to vote for. That is not our place. But we can encourage you to vote. And we encourage you, by all means, to pray, to cry out to God in behalf of our country. In fact, I want to do that right now. Would you bow your heads? Uh, with me, and would you just offer a prayer to God as, as we together in unison, one family under God, uh, pray for our country. Heavenly Father, we need you. Our land, our country needs you. And we cry out to you in her behalf. Just uh, ask your will to be done all across the land in every uh, place that is up for election, whether it would be the presidency, whether it would be uh, Congress, whatever it is that we are voting on, Lord, we are asking for your will. We are asking for your people, especially, to get out and vote We thank you for this freedom. We thank you for the high cost that there have been so many willing to give their life, their blood, their sacrifice, that we could exercise this right. And so, Lord, uh, just help us to trust you. I, I heard Alan pray earlier just 
after Tuesday, you're, you're still on the throne and we trust you. We, we just will know that you'll be with us. And we praise you that you are in control. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for two years, Paul has been in prison for something he didn't do. That would be hard to take, wouldn't it? It would be so easy to become bitter, to become angry over that kind of situation. And yet Paul did not let that happen. Instead, we see him being thankful. We see him making the most of his circumstances. He's trusting God to get him through. And he is witnessing in behalf of Jesus as he's there in prison. And so in that very dark place, the light of Jesus is shining brightly. Let me read to you from chapter 25 of Acts, the first three verses. Festus then, having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have, brought, have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. I read that, and I just continue to be amazed at these religious leaders who are, again, plotting to kill Paul. They're plotting to murder him. This is the second such plot in as many chapters. And both plots have been spoiled. 2,000 years later, we look back at this, and it seems like all we can do is just shake our head and wonder how in the world can these religious leaders be so crooked and evil? I guess the answer to that is they were religious, but they were not spiritual. They were like whitewashed sepulchers, Jesus said. They had the outside painted up pretty, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. Their hearts were not right with God. And it's easy for us to point our finger at these Jewish chief priests. And there are plenty of reasons for which we could point our finger at them. But that really, I I don't think, would be a profitable thing for us to do this morning. Rather, the more profitable thing would be for us to look at our own life and, and to judge ourselves honestly through the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit and make sure that in our life there are not gross inconsistencies or points of hypocrisy that would make people stumble over the Savior rather than to come to the Savior. So the question that we really need to ask ourselves here at this point is, are our words consistent with our life? Is our faith walk consistent with our faith talk? Remember a couple of, couple of people a few years ago who had a certain response when a fellow's name came up who was a member of our church who happened to be their boss at work. It it was interesting to me, their response was exactly the same, though they were different people and in different places. They said this, now there is a Christian man. His 
His faith and his life, they, they, they go together. They said he lives out his faith. He cares about his workers. He is a man of integrity. It was obvious to me from what they said that this fellow was not one way on Sunday and, and completely different on Monday through Friday. Mike Wright, is who they were speaking of, Mike Wright was, and he still is, the real deal, praise the Lord. And that's the kind of testimony that it would be good for all of us to have said about us. That, that as people whom we are around, whether it's our co-workers, neighbors, acquaintances, people that we recreate with, that they would look at us and they would see us as being the same Monday through Saturday as what we are on Sunday morning. Now contrast that with the person whose life is not the same Monday through Saturday versus what it's like on Sunday. Probably we would hear a completely different story about that person. And so what, what about you? What about me? Is our life, are our words consistent? with what we claim in relationship to Him. I'm thinking of James chapter 3, is it? It's referencing our tongue. And it says this, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brethren, James says, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. You see, if we have inconsistencies in our life, we need to give those to Jesus. We need to repent and, and, and try to be the best for Him that we can be. Yes, we fall short. Every one of us falls short. We're all sinners. And we need His grace desperately. And His grace is available for us. His grace is sufficient for our sins. To wash them away. To clean us up. And yet, if there is hypocrisy in our life, then we need to give that hypocrisy to Him. Let's be for others a stepping stone to Jesus rather than a stumbling block that keeps people from Him. I don't want to be like these Pharisees who were so hypocritical, who had inconsistencies in their life. I want to point people to Him, not detract them from Him. And I know that you feel that way too. The rest of these two chapters is Paul's defense before two different Roman leaders. Festus, who was a governor in the land, and Agrippa, who was one of the Herods. He was a king. And basically, Paul's defense of himself and all that he believed in stood on one premise. Do you know what that premise was? 
The fact that Jesus had raised up from the dead. Everything depended upon that. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That's verse 17. Verse 20 of that chapter says, But Christ has been raised from the dead. Again, it is the foundation for everything that Paul believed in. Several times in these two chapters, Paul references the resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 26, verse 8, he says, Why is it, he's speaking to to Festus here, Why is it that uh, considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? Later in that chapter, he is giving his own testimony about how on the road to Damascus, he met the resurrected Jesus. And then in verse 23, he says, The Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Let me say this. Just as for Paul, The resurrection was the foundation of everything that he believed in. So too, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation for everything that we believe in. And so let me ask you this question. We could could spend some time today just giving uh, reasons as to why we believe the resurrection. We've done that before. There are plenty of reasons as to why the resurrection is a believable thing. But today, let me ask this question and answer it just with two, two points. And the question is this. What's the fact of the resurrection mean for us today? Now this almost sounds like an Easter sermon. But every Sunday we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And as Paul is giving his testimony time and time again through these latter chapters of Acts, what he is saying is based on the fact that Jesus raised up from the dead. And because He raised from the dead, you can believe Christianity is a believable thing. What's it mean to us today? First of all, it means that He is Lord. No one else, anywhere, anytime, has ever risen from the dead, never to die again. Only Jesus has raised up from the dead. And that puts Him in a category that is all His own. He is the Lord of all. He is the Master. He's our Master. I've noticed lots and lots of times as I have been around EK from India, as I have been in a time of prayer with him, often he refers to Jesus, he addresses Jesus in his prayer as Master. And he's right on with that. That is who Jesus is. He is our Master and our Lord, and He has proven that by raising up from the dead. We need to give our attention to Him. He's deserving of that. If He can rise up from the dead, He can do anything. 
Just a week ago on our first Saturday Night Live service, the preacher, Greg Grishel, told this story. And since most of you didn't hear it that evening, I want to share it with you. Some of you were there that evening, and I think it's, it's just as good the second time around as it was the first. Martin Luther was the father of the Reformation movement. And he had a friend whose name was Friedrich Myconius. And this friend was also his assistant as he was under as Martin Luther was undertaking this enormous task of trying to reform the church in the 1500s. The year was 15 40, Myconius had become very sick and he was on his deathbed. And so he wrote a farewell letter to Luther saying, The end is near. I love you. And, and, and all of that kind of stuff that he would say in a letter of that nature. And from the tone of the letter, it was obvious to Martin Luther that Myconius had already given in to the fact that he was going to die. And so as Luther received this letter and he read it, he would not stand for the thought of Myconius dying. He wrote Myconius a letter back and this is what he said, and I quote, He said, I command you in the name of God to live. Because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Signed, Martin Luther. Now, Myconius... When he received this letter back from Luther, he's, he's on his deathbed. He's already, at this point, lost the ability to speak. He's apparently just hours away from dying. But as he hears this letter read to him, it ignited his faith. It, and miraculously, he was healed. And he lived six more Years And guess when he died? Two months after Luther died. Our Lord Jesus can do anything. Do you believe that? He can do anything. He can raise up a person from their sickbed. And He Himself raised up from the dead, and so we better listen to Him because He is Lord of all. And not only do we need to listen to Him, we also need to repent of our sins. His being Lord calls us to repentance. He's the Master. We are not. Let me read to you from chapter 26 of Acts. Jesus' call to the would-be apostle. Chapter 26, beginning with verse 16. I'll read through verse 20. This is what Jesus is saying to Saul as he's on the road to Damascus. But get up. 
Stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, Saul says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Hear me, folks that are here. Jesus has called us to repent. He's called us to turn away from our sin and turn towards Him. He has called us to change because He's the Lord of all. Now certainly the world needs to hear a message of repentance, but really the church needs to hear a message of repentance. In the Old Testament, it was said like this, if my people, if my people... That's the prophet speaking the words of of God the Father. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Would you agree with me that our land needs healed? Sure it does. I mean... It doesn't take a very smart person to to look around and just see that our land needs healed. All of the, the sex crimes, the murders, the prejudice... The, the hatred and the lies and the drug abuse and, and the child abuse... The alcohol abuse... Our land needs healed. But do you know where it starts? It starts with us. It it doesn't start out there in the world. The world getting right with God. No, it starts with God's own people getting right with God. It starts with God's people humbling themselves and praying and repenting of their sins. And then God will hear from heaven. And He will forgive their sins. And heal their land. We need some repenting going on. And there's no better time for that to happen than now. There's no better time for that to happen than today. In our hearts. Today, God's people need to repent of their sins. Because He is Lord of all. And His resurrection proves that. This message is for you. It's for me. We need to repent. We need to turn away from the world's ways 
And we need to seek him with all of our heart. Because he is the resurrection. Let me give to you a second answer to this question. What does the resurrection mean to us today? It means victory for the Christian. We win simply because he has already won. Nothing can separate us from His love. There is no foe that can defeat us, not even death. Because He has already smashed the most potent weapon that the devil had. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that Jesus has rendered powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Our foe is a defeated foe. Therefore, we need to hang on to Jesus no matter what comes our way because victory has already been provided for us through Him. I heard a preacher just recently talking about the fact that the NFL's all-time rushing leader is Emmett Smith. If you're a football fan, you'll know he played for the Dallas Cowboys over his career. Emmett Smith ran for 18,355 yards. Figure it out. That is ten and a half miles. What's interesting to me, even more than that, is he did it at 4.2 yards at a time. Now think about that. 4.2 yards at a time. That's what he averaged per carry. Every 4.2 yards, he was, he was tackled, but he, every, he just kept getting back up and going again. This guy became the game's best at what he did because he was willing to get back up every time he was knocked down by his adversary. That's perseverance. That is relentlessly moving forward in the face of adversity. I want you to go home today with good news on your heart. And the good news is this, that Jesus has won the victory already. And He's giving that victory to you and me as we put our faith in Him. As we get knocked down, our victor is in heaven and His arm is reaching down to us to pick us up and get us going again. And one day the ultimate victory will be ours as we too will win over death. Now for a few moments before I close, I want to... I want simply to take a look at Paul's invitation to King Agrippa. And his invitation was that, would you believe in Jesus? After finishing his testimony, Paul looks at Agrippa and asks him this question. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa's answer is in verse 28. You remember what his answer was? In a short time, you will, be, you will persuade me to become a Christian. 
Now, it's interesting to me to see how the different translations treat this verse. The King James Version treats it this way, and and those of us who have grown up in the church are very familiar with this. His answer in the King James Version is, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Think about that. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The message, which is a paraphrase, is very close to the King James Version. It says it this way. Keep, keep this up much longer and you'll make a Christian out of me, Agrippa says to Paul. Now, I, I read that, those three translations, the New American Standard and the King James and the message, I read that and it, it almost sounds like Agrippa was right there on the verge of saying yes to Jesus. And there was an old hymn that was written. You know, you remember that hymn? We used to sing it as, as I was growing up. We sang it uh, almost persuaded. Now, other translations seem to take that verse in a different direction. The NIV says it this way. Do you think that in a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? And notice there's a question mark there. I I read that and it almost sounds like Agrippa is, is saying this statement with a sarcastic tone to his voice. The New Living Translation does it this way. Do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? You see, the different translators of Scripture, this is a, this is a hard verse to translate. And there's, there seems to be some, some, uh, some differences of opinion on this particular verse. We're not completely sure of Agrippa's tone. Here. We're not sure of his feelings and where he was at with all of this. It's a difficult verse for sure to translate. He, but, but this one thing that we know. Agrippa was given an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And he resisted. I, I don't know. Maybe he was close. Maybe he was being sarcastic and he wasn't even close at all. But this one thing we know for sure, he ultimately said no to Jesus simply because he did not say yes. And I want you to think about this. Every Sunday, every Sunday, we offer an invitation for people to come to Jesus. And we're doing that again today. And one of these days, the last invitation will be offered. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about worldwide. One of these days, the last invitation will be offered to people to come to Christ. And Jesus will come back. And we will go to heaven or hell depending on what we have done with Jesus. And so if there is even one person here today that has never said yes to Jesus, this is an opportunity again 
for you. And I want you to know, almost is not yes. Someday I'll get around to that, is not yes. I plan to do that next week, next month. I plan to do that another time, is not yes. The invitation is offered to you to say yes to Jesus as the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of all mankind. You are given an opportunity to let Jesus be yours. Say yes. Say, right now, today, I will I will say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. I just can't imagine God being in Agrippa's shoes, having had this opportunity, and he was just that close. saying yes but he didn't so God help us help us here today November 6 2016 as the invitation is offered God we're looking for people to say yes Jesus' name.